We're going to take a look at um, God's Word, what He has to say to us, and uh, we're going to read from a passage of Scripture that you'll find in um, the prophet of Isaiah uh, and chapter 61. It's, uh, it's a passage that if you've hung around church long, you will know well. Um, if you haven't, it's in the Old Testament, which means that you cut the Bible in half and turn left um, about an inch, and uh, you will get to the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is writing hundreds of years before Jesus, and uh, he's giving prophecy, which basically means that he's, he's forth-telling something that will happen, that will certainly come to pass, but he's giving uh, people who are listening an idea about what is real and what is going to, going to occur. And we'll read in just a moment. So we, as a church, have this vision statement that says we want to love Edinburgh, to be family, and to follow Jesus, which kind of, if you hang around churches, isn't that unique. You know, it basically just says we want to be as much like Jesus as we can be. We want to do really well at doing the community thing, and we want to make an impact in the city. But actually, when you begin to unpack what that really says, it's quite a radical thought. Because most people who come to a city don't come to a city for what they can give to a city. They come to a city from what they can get from a city. Does that make sense? So most people who come to a city, they come to the city to get a degree or to get a job, or to get a career, or to get a man, or to get a woman, or to, um, I mean, come on, you know this is true, uh, to, to get something that you currently haven't got. You're about to try and get something. But, um, but those who are trying to follow Jesus and be family uh, come to a city, posture themselves in a city for what they can give to the city. How we can love the city. Unfortunately, that's not what many churches do. Sad to say. Many, many Christians and many churches have been kind of antagonistic towards the city. You know, we're not loving the city. We're against the whole bunch of things. And we'll tell everyone we're against those things. And we'll march against those things. And we'll write letters to our politicians about those things. We're against stuff. Or churches are just ambivalent. We could be anywhere. We don't really care because we belong to another city. Right. But, uh, but Jesus' people love the city. I tell you why. Because God loves Edinburgh. Right? You think that? You ever thought that? It's a weird thought, isn't it? But God loves Edinburgh. And it's not just because he thinks it's the coolest city in the world, although it is. But it's because Edinburgh is full of people and God loves people. God loves diverse people. All people. You never meet anybody that God doesn't love. And the city is the biggest concentration of people. So God loves Edinburgh. And God loves creativity. And God loves commerce. And God loves endeavor. And God loves people becoming better people. People and it all happens in the city. God loves Edinburgh. God loves justice. God loves the poor, right? Have you read your Bible? God really loves poor people, and poor people live in the city. And so 
the reason that we've got a statement that says we're, we're about trying to love Edinburgh and f- be family and follow Jesus is, is because Edinburgh is full of people who don't love the church. And churches that don't love people. 98% of people in Edinburgh don't really do church, probably haven't got a great impression of church. In fact, there are more spires and churches and church buildings in Edinburgh than there are Costas and Starbuckses. The only difference is that Costa and Starbucks is more interesting. Coffee is crap in both, but, 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 but Edinburgh is a city that God loves. And so we're supposed to posture ourselves to love this city and to love it well. And so all I want to do is spend, this is a promise, okay, 12 minutes from now, from when I say go, okay, 12 minutes. It's the shortest I've ever spoken. Isaiah 61, and I want to show you one thing. 12 minutes, one thing, Isaiah 61. That doesn't include me reading Isaiah 61. I get that for free. Here we go. This is the prophecy. It's really cool. Isaiah says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. Can someone bring me some water? To comfort all who mourn. Thanks, Han. And uh, that's so much better. Never try and read fast. It's not good for your throat. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ruined cities, the ancient ruins, and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Which is all very flowery, prophetic language, but basically what the prophet is saying is this. The world is broken. The world is severely broken, and we know that that's true today, don't we? we the political commentators, I've spoken about this before, talk about a VUCA world, V-U-C-A. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry that's what North Korea is, is about. That's what the political turmoil in Europe is about. That's what political turmoil in the United States of America or even in Spain tonight is about. We've got global warming, hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, tropical storms, all these things happening right now. It's a VUCA world, but actually it, it, it's a VUCA world because there are VUCA hearts. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry hearts of fear and depression and despair and division and hatred 
And Isaiah writes to a people who could be our people. And he says, it's all broken. Look at verse 1. You've got poverty and brokenheartedness and captivity and imprisonment. These people are far away from their home. They're living in Babylon. They've been exiled. Away from the city of God and away from the place of the temple. Away from all the promise. They're way away. Mourning, grief, ashes, despair. It's all over this passage of scripture. Places of devastation doesn't take a lot of smart social analysis, does it? You can smarten up an area, gentrify it, open hipster coffee shops, and the millennials will buy fixer-uppers. But none of this changes the human condition. We're broken. Our city is broken. Human hearts are broken. But here's the thing. God is doing something Incredible. He's redoing things. And, and, and the crazy thing is how he's doing it. He's not doing it with the likely people and the people that you would expect. He's doing it with the people you wouldn't expect at all. He's planting them, his people. He's taking you and me, the people who say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be family. Well then, will you love Edinburgh? And he's planting them right in the center of his repair job for human hearts, for human communities, and for cities that he loves. That's what he's doing. That's his plan. And so it becomes good news. Good news to poor people. Notice this, good news to poor people economically emotionally, spiritually, good news to broken people, they get bound up, literally they get, they get fixed up, it's not that you can't see the cracks anymore, but the cracks are bound up so they're not broken anymore, prisoners get freed up, people who are bound financially, bound to patterns of behavior, bound to ways of being that they're not proud of, they get built up. And now a way to God is open. And what God is saying is ridiculous. This totally doesn't make any sense. God says, I am working with the raw things in my people. And I'm bringing beauty out of their brokenness. I'm I'm working with the busted things in my people. And I'm bringing healing out of their sickness. I'm working with the busted, horrible things in my people. And where there is brokenness, I'm bringing beauty. It's not just that you get healed, you you become a healer. It's not just that you get freed, you become a freer. Do you know, when I was a kid, we used to play a a game called, we called it TIG. I I imagine it got called a whole bunch of other things, TAG or IT or... I don't know. It's, it's like a universal game. Somebody is on, and then someone, you have to catch somebody, and then they're on. But there's a different version of the game. The different version of the game, of the game is the game that I loved, which is you got somebody, and they got on your team. And then you both became on, and you got to go after everybody else. And then you had a whole gang of people that were on. That's the way God operates. He saves you, he frees you, he cleans you up. And it's not just that you have to sit on base and stay there until he comes back. It's that you get to play on his team. And he's creating a way of restoring a broken world and loving a city. Not by doing it from afar and by edicting from afar, but by involving his people who he's tigged into 
his game. And he's saying your healing of your brokenness becomes healing for other people. Your vulnerability and your bustedness suddenly becomes good news stories for other people. Your ability to say this is me and to tell the story of how God has touched your life suddenly becomes the story that brings glory to God that changes other people. That's what God is doing. And the passage is so cool that Jesus plagiarizes it for his inauguration speech. Jesus says, that passage is really cool. He doesn't say that at all. But, but in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus shows up and, and he chooses this passage to announce who he is and what he does. This is who I am and this is what I do. And he walks into a city and he gives his life for a city and he is crucified outside of a city for the salvation of a city. Here's what I want you to get. Back then, God said, I need a body and he chooses Jesus. Right now, God says, I need a body and he chooses us. He calls it the church. He says, I need some people who will display their brokenness and allow it to become beautiful. I need some people who will display their bustedness and their vulnerability and their healing and their story and I will make it shine so that other people might be freed. You know, guys, listen, the reason that we have a vision that's as simple as this that we're called to love the city, to do it together and to follow Jesus is because we don't have an anointing so we might just have cool gatherings or amazing branding or hipster bands or, 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 or great programs or any of that stuff. No, 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 no. We have anointing only for this, to free people, to release bound people, to carry healing to demonstrate and articulate beauty. And every time, every single time, one life is touched and every time one person is set free and every time one debt is managed and every time one refugee is taken in, the hope of the kingdom comes. Every time we plant a garden in a desolate part of the city and every single time we, 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 we plant a business which cares for truth and justice and every time we rebuild a house that has been smashed down and every time we adopt a child that would otherwise be in a system which brings them no hope and every time we set a place at our table and open our heart and open our homes and open our hands and every time we say we own nothing we never own anything and every time we refuse to give in to social stereotypes which are divisive and unhelpful and stereotypical we place ourselves and we plant ourselves and we walk in our anointing that's why we are not planting churches. We are planting culture. That's why we're not planting churches. We're planting culture. We're planting the culture of the kingdom of God through the broken people of God who God is using to display his glory.
the skin around some of those people gets called a church. But we're just planting culture. We're planting a, a people who will say we will give ourselves for Jesus, for one another, and for the city. And then the prophet uses all this flowery language, which is difficult to understand, but that's all often true of prophets. You'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the display of the glory of God. It's a bit churchy, but it's really, really significant. It's significant that what God wants to do is to take your brokenness and your poverty and your fear and your anxiety and will it ever happen to me and it can't be me because I did this and I haven't got the qualifications and I had an abortion and this thing happened to me and these people did this stuff to me and financially I'm insecure and all the stuff that goes through our head that says we cannot be the ones that God chooses and uses. God says, no, no, I am planting you to display my glory. I am making you righteous. Which is really cool because although the world around us, the city around us would never use this language, they're desperate for glory and they're hunting for righteousness. Let me show you. That's what they're doing right now. They're looking for glory. They're just looking for it in all the wrong places. And, and they're holding on to illusions of glory that can never satisfy them. It's like candy floss. Have you ever had candy floss? Doesn't it look amazing and you think this is going to be the biggest feast I've ever had? It's massive and it's pink. And then you take one bite and it's gone. It's all over your face and it's gone. It, it looked as if it was going to satisfy you, but it didn't satisfy you. The world is set on producing illusions of glory that keep you from the one for whose glory you're supposed to live. And it's desperate for righteousness. It's desperate for someone to say that is right and that is wrong. Sex trafficking is wrong. However you, you, whatever you talk about, it's wrong. Inequality is wrong. Racism is wrong. There is a stack of things that are just wrong. And it's longing for someone to, to say and to demonstrate that these things are wrong. And God says, I am planting you. And you. And you. To display true glory. And to scream righteousness. To live righteous. God's people come to the city for what they can give to the city not for what they can take and that's why we are following Jesus and if we follow Jesus together he loves the city and we just get to cooperate with how he does that do you know um about 200 years ago, there was a guy in the United States of America who was an evangelist. He was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. And he used to go to different places and preach in huge tents. And all these people had their lives changed and transformed because this guy loved Jesus. And on one occasion, this guy called Gypsy Smith, which is a very cool name, was uh, asked the secret to his success. And he said, um, it's very simple. If you want to see revival happen all around you, you would get on your knees and you would draw a chalk circle all around yourself. And you would not get up off of your knees until God had revived everything within that chalk circle. In other words, you're the project. I'm the project. 
God is using my brokenness and my guilt and my fear and my shame and he's cleaning it up and he's saving me and he's changing stuff in me so that that story might display glory, so that this life might display righteousness, so that people that he loves and communities that he loves might come to know him and find truth and peace and freedom and life. And so we love Edinburgh and we try and be family and we follow Jesus. And God says, on your knees, if you would see this happen. And that's why we pray. Would you pray with me? Just in, in, the, in these few moments that we've got, I'm going to ask that God would give you his heart, his eyes, and his ears for the people that he's placed you around, for the places that he's planted you, so that you would not be there indiscriminately, not be amongst people randomly, but that he might call you to participate with what he is already doing in the city that he already loves. And maybe one or two of you in the quietness if would like to symbolically say, I'm in. I want to love the places that God has called me to with all of my heart. And a way of doing that is to kneel with me. So if you'd like, if you feel led to and you'd like to kneel, don't have to, no one's going to force you. And now is a moment to do that. And I'm going to pray for us. And just ask the Spirit to come. Thank you, God. so spirit of the sovereign God we ask you to come and to fill your children pray that you come Holy Spirit and fill us with a passion for you and for your glory for right living for justice for brokenness, poverty, and imprisonment. We pray that you would use my story and our story, my healing and our healing, my transformation and our transformation to do something remarkable in our day and age in this place. Melt our hearts and break them for the things that break yours. Get hold of our hands and feet and send us to the people that need loved and cared for. And may your kingdom come and your will be done. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus.